Welcome! Welcome! Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome. Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung. Welcome. I have this xylophone. It's a xylophone that's shaped like a caterpillar and has rainbow colors. And I got this because I thought it was cute. And I also... Uh, I grew up watching Korean variety comedy shows and the host would always <laughs> use the xylophone and he would hit these keys. Yeah, the last one. The last one is where I got it. It's, it's the red one and then yellow, green, and then last one. <laughs> Actually, these colors are very significant to me right now. The red one. I mean, what key is this? Is that do? So C, d do, right? Mi. This is fa, right? Do, fa, no. Do, re, mi. Is it do, mi? Do, re, mi. Fa, sol, la, ti, do. Yeah. <laughs> this is the reason why I never excelled in piano. Yeah, I never got it. It's not because I'm an idiot. It's because... I was I used to take piano lessons since age five, but my piano teachers used to hit me, right? Because I didn't know the keys and I didn't know how to read notes because I'm five, right? So they would beat the shit out of me. And then I started taking piano lessons again in Brooklyn after I moved to the US and my teacher was a screamer. She would scream at me all the time. And then one day she just sent me home. She was like, I don't think this is for you. But here's the thing. How can you excel at piano if you don't have a piano to practice on? Anybody who plays an instrument knows that the way to excel at the instrument is to have the instrument to practice on. Practice is what makes it perfect. And how could I not own a piano and get good at it? It's like expecting the impossible, right? All I had another piano teacher. It was another friend's mother. And she used to scream at me and threaten me and all this shit. It was a nightmare. Piano to me is a fucking trauma. And so I have this xylophone only to honor my inner joy, which is, you know, comedians like Yuja Seok, all right? He would always have a xylophone and bang it around on te television. And it would always crack me up. I'm like, what? Look, look, at, look at him. Look at him hitting these notes. And this xylophone, it has two. It has two sticks. I'm sorry if it's too loud for the listeners. I should be more mindful. I won't play it so close to the, the earphone. Oh my god, and the fucking notes are right here. Why am I trying to guess it? All right, so it's C, E, G, C. C, C, E, G, C. <laughs> Those are the notes. Those are the four notes that I wanted to hit. C, E, G, C. See, yes, I like those sounds because those are the those are the sounds that were always played. It was always it was also played on that variety show, a Korean variety show that was on for like decades. And it was basically a talent show, right? Like a live talent show that was recorded with a live audience and like people from that local town or city would go and then they would like present their talents as a singer or as a whatever. And the opening of that show would hit these notes. It would hit C, E, G, C. And then it, they would all like sing a song and dance. It was fucking awesome. It's awesome. And that's why I got this xylophone. And I bought it in like, I bought it right as I was starting this podcast in 2021. And I never, I never took it out to play with it here on the podcast. And I'm looking at my sound 
the the sound bars on my on my sound recorder and it's like the the bars are like crazy it's like up and down up and down from me hitting the xylophone but it looks so cute yeah uh i was walking this evening around my neighborhood as i do every every day and i finally saw because I, i don't know if i mentioned one of my neighbors in this neighborhood uh they have a pet a baby pet pig who hangs out in the front yard. Yeah. It's this black pig with a white white stripe that goes down the center and it looks like an Oreo. And it's so cute. It's like a baby pig, right? And the baby pig has a companion, which is a cat. So there's a cat and a pig that always hangs out in front of this house in the yard. And it's like I every time I go for my walk, I'm like, I hope the pig is there. I hope the pig and the cat are there. And tonight, the pig and the cat were there, but so was the owner of that house, this woman. Her name is Alexis. And I said hello to her, and I asked her for the names of the pig and the cat. And she was like, oh, the pig's name is Praline, and the cat's name is Pigeon. And I was like, thank you. Um, Thank you for having these wonderful pets, because I love seeing them when I go on my walks. And she was so nice, you know. So it was, like, nice to connect with a fellow neighbor. Um, There was another neighbor named Justin who was across the street, and he was visiting uh, Praline and Pigeon and Alexis with his two kids. So it was like a nice, like warm, you know, neighborhood bonding thing I did in the evening. And yeah, I, I loved that, you know, and I was just like, yeah, I want to I want to get more in touch with the joy center in my heart. And I was like re-listening to uh, a podcast I did like a while ago with a comedian Crystal Adams. If you guys haven't checked out that episode, my talk with Crystal Adams, please do, because Not only is she a brilliant comedian who's like very funny and like one of the best comedy writers ever, but she's also incredibly wise. She's like one of the wisest, you know, comedian uh, friends that I have. And the things that she says on the podcast are just so wonderful and heartwarming. And what she reminded me of in that podcast episode as I was re-listening to it is she reminds us all to embrace the whimsy. Yeah, because life can be serious. You know, life can be super serious. This past week, oh my God, I dealt with a lot of seriousness. Even even yesterday, I dealt with seriousness. And this morning, I dealt with seriousness. And I was feeling super like vulnerable and raw and, you know, emotional and hurt. Um, and, you know, just like very like in a tender spot. And... I was like, what do I need right now? And what I needed was to see that pig and that cat and and my neighbor. And, uh, and I needed to bust out the xylophone so that I can embrace the whimsy as Crystal Adams has so wisely advised us to. Embrace the whimsy. What's been going on? You guys, I went to see a doctor. I went to see two doctors this past week because I realized that I just haven't been taking myself to the doctor. Not only that, I've never established a primary care physician-patient relationship with any primary care doctors here in LA in the last eight years that I've lived here because I only worked with like nurse practitioners at UCLA. Um, And then after I graduated UCLA, I was just like, you know, too poverty stricken and afraid to establish any primary care with a doctor. And when I finally did that, it triggered all these like pent up emotions in me that I've been repressing, which is that, you know, 
the poverty trauma is linked to other traumas of neglect and that my parents never took me to the doctor regularly. I remember in fourth grade, I fractured my wrist and I was crying, but the adults all told me to shut up and they left me alone in the room and they didn't take me to the doctor, even though I was hysterically crying. And what happened to me was not something to be, you know, that, that wasn't something to, you know, treat lightly. I was... I was in immense pain. Fracturing a wrist and spraining a wrist is extremely painful. I knew it wasn't broken, but I knew that this was a pain that was not, like, normal. And I used to fall and trip and, like, injure myself a lot as a child. So I knew that this was serious, but nobody around me took it seriously. And I realized that I had never, ever taken my health seriously because of traumas like that. And I realized like, oh, I'm in my mid-30s and I don't have a primary care physician. You know, like I don't have somebody that I call my doctor. And I was like, that's not okay. That's not okay considering all the things that I've survived and the things that I'm currently facing and confronting, considering all the pain that I'm in. It was like so intense, this flood of realization and reckoning with myself. And so I, you know, was on the phone for four hours. I fought through the the medical bureaucracy bullshit, the healthcare bullshit in this fucking country. I fought through it for four hours and I finally spoke to somebody who was able to help me and he was able to do the impossible, which was get me an appointment this week. Yeah. So I called on Tuesday and I was able to get an appointment on Friday. That's like an impossibility. That's so rare because the first appointment I should have gotten and that other people were saying was not going to be until September. So I took myself into the doctor. I mentioned my full history, which I, again, I'd never done this before. I never went to a doctor and gave them my full medical history, including all of my trauma histories. I've never done that. And so all these things that I was doing, I was just like confronting the guilt, confronting the shame, confronting the ignoring, confronting the repressing, confront confronting my caretakers who were also my abusers confronting all of this stuff and um took myself in told my doctor my full history and she was so amazing she was so gracious she acknowledged what I survived and she said to me you've been through a lot that's what she said and I just needed to hear that from a medical professional I needed to hear it because I needed to feel like I'm finally taking care of myself and that I'm finally being taken care of. And I said the same thing to my psychologist, you know, during therapy. I was like, I've been minimizing my health and my ailments for way too long. And it's upsetting me because it's conflicting with my priority, which is self-care. And how can I say that I am in an act of self-care when I'm ignoring my health issues? And, you know, she was just like right there with me. And she was like, self-love is when we take care of our bodies. And I was like, thank you for that reminder. And then I was able to book an appointment with a holistic doctor. Now, I believe in Western medicine and why it's important. And I came to realize why Western medicine has progressed so far, especially in America. And it's because America has been involved in many, many wars Yeah, since like the beginning, since the conception of America, it's been involved in endless, countless wars. And it's still like, you know, it's still waging wars here and there. American U.S. military bases are all over the fucking globe. So if that's the case, then, you know, America is still in a state of war. 
Considering all the wars that America has gone through, they have a Western medical history and skill that they've developed to treat war, to treat uh, like, like, you know, busted, broken, blown off limbs, right? They like, like when it's like a bodily emergency where there's blood gushing and they need to be like, you know, like there needs to, it needs to be intravenous or there needs to be extreme measures taken to stop stuff like cutting things out or blocking things or blah, blah, blah. That shit, America is really great at it. Yeah, because of all the wars. However, when it comes to things like getting the body back into its state of equilibrium, yeah, Americans, like Western medicine, is terrible at that. Terrible, terrible, terrible. And my condition right now, even though I have like these extreme physical ailments like that I, that I need help with from a Western doctor, there are other issues that Western medicine cannot address. And that is like the flow of flow of qi or qi as they call it in Chinese, but like the flow of energy, you know, feeling like I don't have a constant weight or burden on my chest and throat and in my neck and in my back. What do I do about that shit? What do I do about symptoms that have no explanation from Western doctors? What do I do about that shit? So I took myself into a holistic doctor. Um, Very trustworthy man came, highly recommended. I went in and I felt good and he took care of me. He took really good care of me. And I've always been like, you know, reticent to see a male doctor given my, you know, rape trauma history. But with this guy, I felt totally safe. And I was upfront to him about all of my traumas, including my rape trauma. And he was very, very, you know, considerate of that. And he would tell me, like, if there's anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, please don't hesitate to speak up. And he was like, and I'll be very careful. You know, like there was there was trust being established as we were moving forward on my treatment. So all this is to say that I am still in a place of tender tenderness with myself right now. Uh, This is the most emotionally raw and open and vulnerable I have ever been in my entire life. That is my absolute truth. And I don't know how long this will stay, but I know that this period is definitely making me stronger. What I will also say is that I have zero fear while confronting my past traumas right now. And I have zero fear while taking care of my body so that I could get to a place of optimal health, where I can get to a place where I don't feel sad about how I am doing physically. And mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Yeah, all of that. So I feel strong in that regard, in the sense that I have zero fear encountering my past, encountering my present, and encountering my future. Zero fear. That is my God's honest truth. And that is a miracle because fear, right? Fear has always been the problem. So I'm moving forward with trust. And, you know, there there have been like, you know, like, I would say all the people that I... Um, worked with on Friday, which is when I went into the doctor, like all, all the people I dealt with that day, like my doctor, my pharmacist, the the administrative staff, the 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 doctors in the lab who did, took my blood, like the blood work people, all of them, they all made me feel safe and happy. Oh my gosh. Also, you guys, my primary care physician is at the LGBT center in Hollywood. That's just the one that I was assigned to by my, you know, healthcare, my insurance. And that place is a wonderland, okay? Like, the waiting room, they were playing Jurassic Park. I'm not talking about the shitty Jurassic Park stuff that they've been doing lately. No, I'm talking about the original Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park 1, all right? They were playing Jurassic Park 1. The 
first original Jurassic Park, the Steven Spielberg film. They were playing that in the in the waiting room. Yes. Oh, yeah. After I checked in, that was playing. And I turned to one of the guys in the waiting room. I was like, are they playing Jurassic Park? And he was like, yeah, classic. I was like, this is beautiful. I was having a ball in the waiting room at the clinic. Who does, who has a ball in the clinic, in the waiting room? Ah, oh, yes, play Jurassic Park. That'll change everything. And then I, you know, had my appointment with my doctor. And then I had to wait one hour because I was going to pick up my prescription, which is downstairs. So they were like, you have to wait one hour. I was like, okay, no problem. I, it's a, I'm happy to wait because I was upstairs waiting while watching Jurassic Park 2. Yes, Lost World. I was watching it. It was so fun. It was great. Oh, my gosh, you guys. I'm genuinely like in a in a happy zone, like even though um, when I, you know, met with these doctors on Friday and I was establishing primary care and I was establishing my history and we were, you know, discussing how we were going to, you know, handle my treatment. Right. Like serious stuff. Whenever they asked me, do you feel safe in your home? I was like, yes. And when the holistic doctor asked me, what is your quality of life? I was like, nobody's asked me this question before. And I took a moment and I thought about it. And I said to him, I, I'm happy with my life. That's what I said. I was like, I'm actually genuinely happy with my life. And, you know, he and I just like kind of bonded in that moment very silently. Yeah. Because I know I've been through a lot. As my physician agreed, affirmed with me, she's like, you've been through a lot. And my holistic doctor said the same thing. He was like, considering what you've survived, you're actually very healthy. And I was like, yeah, that's because, you know, every day. And he was like, you do the work. I was like, I do the work. Every day I do the work. I journal every single day. I walk every single day. I do yoga every single day. All right. I do some kind of artistic, creative thing every single day. I meditate every single day I pray at my altar every single day if I'm having a particularly rough day I'll listen to dharma talks given by Tara Brock and for those of you who are into Buddhism or meditation and mindfulness I really recommend Tara Brock she's a psychologist who is also a Buddhist teacher and she's been through a lot wow read her article in the Guardian and read her books I love Tara Brock she's like one of these figures in this world where I'm like, thank God she exists on this earth. Yeah. Um, so I listen to Dharma talks. But my point is I do all of this because I don't want to be in pain. Right. And I've been doing this. I've been doing this all along and I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted and I want more support. I need more support and care and help. And I'm glad I reached out and I met with these doctors and I'm glad that I'm finally paying attention to my body. And I'm also glad that I'm paying attention to my anger because my anger has been demanding this for very, very long. And I just took a moment to like sit with myself and apologize to myself and say, I'm sorry for not taking you to the doctor. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for ignoring all of your pain. I'm sorry for not listening to you, even though you've been raging out every single day, demanding me, pleading with me to do something about this agony. And I was like hysterically crying while comforting myself. Yeah. So I went through that. I went through that ritual. And um, I also want to give a shout out to uh, my friend, you know, Lisette, who's been like this sturdy rock for me the whole week. I was having a really rough week. I was on the brink of having a mental breakdown on Tuesday. 
And I just reached out. I called her. And she was so gracious and so loving and checked in with me every single day of the week. And I can't tell you how lucky I am to have a, you know, an angelic friend like her. Somebody I've known for a very long time. And I hope all of you guys have a sturdy ally and a kin like that. Somebody in your life, whether it's a person, whether it's, you know, another being. I hope you have that because it's important and we deserve it. So I guess that's my emotional piece right there. What I'm also recognizing is that as I go through these growth spurts, and that's what this is at this time. That's why I'm in so much, you know, raw emotional agony at the moment because I'm going through a growth spurt a big one this is a big one I know this is a big one it feels bigger than anything I've ever gone through in, in my life so this is a big leveling up as I'm going through these growth spurts the people that I thought were friends like close friends of mine they're starting to fall away from my consciousness yeah they're starting to like yeah, I, I'm starting to see them very clearly as they're not allies. They're not safe people. They're not trustworthy people. They're not people that I should be around at all. Yeah, they're actually wreaking havoc in my life. And they have been for a long time. I've just been ignoring it, just like I've been ignoring all of my physical pain. Yeah, so that that clarity has been like switching for me in my brain, like click, click, click. And it's like, oh. That needs to be taken care of. That needs to be taken care of. So as I've been um, reorganizing my social surroundings to make it more soft, make it more loving, make it more gentle, make it more graceful, make it more diverse, make it more, um, yeah, like reestablishing a different norm as I do this for myself. Um, yeah, I'm noticing like, oh, these people are not my allies. These people are not safe. These people are actually causing me pain. And that's that's starting to occur. And I've been warned of this by my psychologist like over a year ago. She was like, as your vibration goes up, lower vibrational people will start to fall away. And, you know, I remember feeling a little sad when she said that. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want that. But the thing is, regardless of whether or not I want it, it's happening. And I am fully reckoning with it. And I know with certainty in my, right here in my torso, right here, I feel it with such certainty that this is the right thing for me. And as I make these changes in my social life and in my surrounding, I can't tell you, like, the pristine calm I feel. It doesn't feel like I'm going to war. I'm not in a fight-flight mode. Like my When I'm in f uh, flight mode, my hand gets cold and my feet gets cold and my whole body starts to shake. Yeah. And my, my thoughts start to race. That's what happens. And I don't feel that when I think about, you know, or reorganizing my relationships and letting some people exit while bringing some other people closer. Like I don't feel that, that rush of flight in my system but I have been dealing with that flight in my system in reaction like retaliatory reactions from those people these toxic people that I am you know asking to leave my life yeah there is retaliation so in those moments of retaliation my body does go into flight mode and I've noticed it but I also noticed how quickly 
that subsides and I am back into a state of calm. Yeah. Like just this morning, I dealt with that flight moment twice. But I'm in a pretty good grounded place right now as I'm speaking to you all. And so um, I'm in a good place. I'm in a good place. And uh, if you guys feel like ever lost or feel sad or uncertain, please trust yourselves more. Yeah, that's the only thing I want to say about that. Just trust yourself. Trust your gut. Trust your gut. Don't ever let anybody make you feel like you don't have a gut or like your feelings are not to be trusted. No, 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 no. Trust your feelings more than anything else. Your feelings communicate to you all the information that you need. Also, you guys, you guys, I thought that I was done watching K-dramas. I thought I was exhausted from it. I thought I was never going to watch another K-drama series again. But here I am. Here I am to talk to you about Bloodhounds, a Netflix original series. It is such a good show. I would say this is the best show I've seen in the past year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have not seen a show that I liked this much in 2023. I saw it in late June. That's when I saw it. Bloodhounds, Netflix original series based on a webtoon written by artist Jung Chan. It is based on his uh, webtoon called Hanyang Gedu, which is Korean for Bloodhounds. And Bloodhounds is the nickname given to people who go after uh, clients of loan sharks who owe money. Yeah, so bloodhounds are released to go and get back the money that is owed to the loan shark. But of course, the people who are in bloodhounds, the protagonists of this show, their role is not so much going after clients who need money, but going after people who are abusing this loan shark system to an unbelievably egregious level. Yes, so it's a really fascinating show dealing with the underworld in a very refreshing and new perspective. The webtoon Sanyang Gede or Bloodhounds was adapted for TV by filmmaker Kim Ju-hwan. His English name is Jason Kim and he is based in South Korea. He made films like Midnight Runners, he made The Divine Fury, he made The Heart Puppy starring some very big names like Cha Tae-yeon, Yoo Yeon-seok, Park Seo-joon and Kang han And what I love about Bloodhounds is that it features two fairly new up-and-coming actors who are very, you know, I mean, they're working a lot, whatever, but they're still fairly new and up-and-coming, and that is Woo Do-hwan and Lee Sang-hee. Yeah. Woo Do-hwan, we've seen, uh, I remember him from the show King Eternal Monarch. Like, again, this, it's a terrible show, but he's in it. And I remember liking him a lot. He was also in that show Save Me. Yeah, but in King Eternal Monarch, I remember Udohan played like a very serious and hyper masculine and reserved character because he was like the protector of the king and he's like so like quiet and you know like uptight. He's very uptight. But in Bloodhounds, Udohan is completely different. He's like such a tender heart, soft as pudding, like naive, sweet idealistic he just has this innocence that he's desperate to preserve and has the biggest heart ever and it's just like really sweet watching this sweet tender boyish guy in a show that has a lot of violence I really liked it I think 
you know, more of these K-dramas that are like hyper-masculine and violent, they need more heart. That's that's really the only way to make a show work, okay? So if you're if you're going to make a show or a movie that's all like action and violence and blah blah blah, go go ahead and do it. Do it up. But please don't think that removing tender big heart-opening moments like excising that won't make it a better show or movie. It's going to make it worse. Add more heart. Yeah. This show felt balanced to me because it did a lot of that heart-opening work. Yeah. A lot of heart chakra shit in there. Yes. The actor Yi Sang-hee, uh, who is playing Woo Do-hwan's opposite, is from, you know, we saw him in Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha. He was also in uh, that show I love called uh, When the Camellia Blooms. And he was also in Prison Playbook. So, you know, like Yi Sang-hee, he's like done some work, but he's always done supporting actor work. And he's playing a lead on this show. And I loved Yi Sang-hee on this show. He's, he was like the perfect, perfect thing to have on this show. And Woo Do-han, Yi Sang-hee, amazing chemistry. Amazing on-screen chemistry. This is a buddy series and the two of them just match beautifully. And I really loved... I loved, loved, loved the homosocial, like, queer undertone that was, like, whirring throughout the show the whole time. Like, if you've seen the opening of episode 7 on this show, it is the most homoerotic, the most homoerotic opening sequence I've ever seen in a Korean drama ever. Like, I've ne- like even watching two guys like fucking on screen would not have been as homoerotic as the opening sequence of episode 7 of Bloodhounds between Wudohan and Yi Sang-hee. Yeah. Yeah. It's so gay. It's so beautiful. Check it out, okay? Cuz they're like really super buff. You got these buff ass sexy Korean dudes and they're sweating. They're like glistening sweat. And they're wearing these like super short shorts that they wore when they were serving in the Marines, right? It is so gay. Like they're and they're like lifting weights and they're like throwing basketballs on one another's stomachs. It's so gay and hilarious. I love it. I love it. It's awesome. Okay. And then you have actress Kim Seron who plays this like hard badass role. And that was like very new for me because I remember seeing Kim Seron in a movie uh, written and directed by Uni LeCompte, who is a French Korean film filmmaker. She's a uh, Korean adoptee in France. And she made this film called A Brand New Life, which went to Cannes. It was executive directed, uh, I'm sorry, executive produced by master filmmaker, art house filmmaker Yi Chang-dong. And it's a beautiful, beautiful film. A brand new life. Check it out if you haven't seen it. So Kim Seo-ron made her uh, film debut in the year uh, in the year 2009 with A Brand New Life. Then Kim Seo-ron was in a film with Hallyu actor Won Bin called The Man From Nowhere, a.k.a. Ajashi, and it was like this super violent movie that broke domestic box office records because Won Bin is a huge, huge star, and Kim Seo-ron was the little girl that was being rescued by him in that movie. And then Kim Seo-ron was in a costume period piece called Secret Healer, which I could not finish watching because Kim Seo-ron was only 16 years old when that show was uh, on air. And she plays like the opposite of a male co-star who is twice her age. 
And it was just like too creepy for me to be watching this. I was like, this, this isn't right. So it was like triggering, creepy. I stopped watching it. But that does not mean I don't love the actor like Yoon Shiyun. I love him. I think he's a great actor. I think he's a really lovable guy. I just thought it was like a really bad production decision. Like, don't put a fucking teenager who is 16 years old to play the love interest of a grown man on TV. No, that is a no for me. Okay. Kim Se-ron in this show, Bloodhound, she plays Cha Hyun-ju, and I like her character because she's like this badass who goes and like, you know, tears all these guys a new one. But I also love her because Hyun-ju is my Korean name. Yeah. So it was like nice to hear my name being said in a K-drama. It's just like, it brings me a warm, fuzzy feeling. Yes, I like it. It makes me happy. So Cha Hyun-ju, she's an orphan, and she was adopted by Che Tae-ho. So Cheteo is her adoptive grandfather. He's like this really rich guy who is also a benevolent man, but he used to be a loan shark. That is how he made his riches and wealth initially. And uh, Cheteo is played by the amazing veteran actor Ho Jun-ho. And Ho Jun-ho, he's been in show business like forever. Uh, he comes from show business family, like his father is an actor. And I remember seeing him in the early 90s. I was a kid and I was watching a Korean variety show. And Ho Jun-ho was in this variety show promoting his, uh, his musical because he was in a musical playing Beast. It was like an off, of course, an off-Broadway musical remake in South Korea of Beauty and the Beast. And he was playing Beast. And I remember seeing his face like made up as like Beast. He was wearing makeup and he was like distorting his face and distorting his voice so that he could play like embody the role of Beast. And I remember thinking like, wow, he's an amazing actor. Like I remember thinking that. I was like five or six years old when I saw this. And I just remember just like appreciating what a great actor he is. And then a few years later, I saw Ho Jun-ho in a K-drama. It's like a late 90s K-drama called Bogo to Bogo, C&C again, which is like this long, like, serialized uh, K-drama. It has like over 100 episodes or something. And Ho Jun-ho plays like one of the male leads on that show. And I just remember thinking like, wow, he's such a great actor. Yeah. Um, because like, if you see his face, he's not a handsome face. He doesn't have the face of somebody you would think like, oh, this is like a handsome male lead. No, no, no. But despite his looks, he used his talent to always play a lead. He's played a lead many, many times throughout his life. And it just like it's just a testament to be like, yeah, in the shallow show business industry where your face is your resume, um, that does not that is not a, a hard and fast rule. Yeah, you could look however you want and you could still kick ass and destroy and dominate by having and honing this talent. And that is what Ho Jun-ho did. So I fully appreciate whenever Ho Jun-ho shows up in a K-drama. And I loved his character because it's like so he's so full of heart, but he's also vulnerable because, you know, he has this regret of letting that bastard Kim Myung-gil like, continue to thrive. He never confronted that past. So he tr- he's trying to make amends by confronting that past. And, and he, he does it. He follows through. There's a scene when Konu tells his mother that it's not her fault for signing this loan with the loan sharks. And that scene was so important to me. Like it really, really filled filled my heart with warmth because 
I know that a lot of people who come from poverty and lack of education have been fucked over by scams like that. And the 2007 to 2010 mortgage crisis that America faced, where a lot of lower middle class and middle class Americans got fucked for the very same reason, all right, think about those people and how much they blamed themselves. Think about that. Think about how ashamed and guilty those people must have felt for falling for this scam, quote unquote. No, it was not their fault. And I only speak of this because this is a personal pain for me. My own parents, who don't speak English well, who did not graduate college, who are not from this country, they're immigrants, okay? They fought through all of those obstacles and they saved enough money to put down a down payment and buy a home. And it was part of the fucking mortgage crisis, aka mortgage scam, that screwed them over and their home was foreclosed. And think of the trauma. Think of how much they must have blamed themselves for that, you know? So, like, that scene was very, very healing for me. When Konu goes to his mother and says, like, this is not your fault. This, These people are bad. And they did this strategically knowing that you would be a good victim for this. Knowing that you were a target. And then watching these scam artists go and fuck with homeless people like houseless people on the streets like literally the most vulnerable people in society they went and targeted those people to steal their ids and use their ids to open up fake bank accounts and take out loans and like destroy whatever ounce of credit that they must have had oh my gosh like the the level of evil that i was witnessing on this show is like Oh my God, like it was shocking. It was just so egregious. And during a global pandemic, oh my God, when people are suffering all over the globe and dying and businesses are dying and they're like barely hanging on to survive, to to do this, to, to target these people, I was just like, my blood was boiling the whole time. My blood was boiling the whole time, but at the same time, I was like, this show is giving me a recognition and acknowledgement. And if I feel it, that means a lot of other people feel it. And I thought, Bloodhounds, I was like, you have my respect. You have my attention. You have my respect and attention. And that is why I was able to watch all of it. I was able to watch all of it in just a few days. And I am so happy to be talking about it with you all right now. The other thing I loved about Bloodhounds is watching Shiwon play that asshole Chebol, Minbum. That shit gave me life, okay? Because Shiwon, all right, everybody knows Shiwon. He's like, you know, one of the K-pop members of Super Junior. Massive, massive boy band, okay? But, you know, Shiwon, like, he and I, we're born the same year, mid-30s. Like, you can't be a fucking K-pop star all your life. He's been acting since the early 2000s. Like, he's been in shows... He's been in television series, like he's done quite a few, but I have literally like I would avoid shows with him in it because his face is just like a ridiculous face. He has a face of like a clown, you know, like and and they would try to make him a male lead in romantic dramas. I'm like, no, like his face is so freakish. Like you can't it doesn't work. It does not work. But. In Bloodhounds, he plays this asshole Chebol. I'm like, this is the role that he was made for. It's so pitch perfect. Like, so on cue. So on point. I was like, I love you, Shiwon. 
watching you like drinking bottles after bottles of Blue Label and getting shit-faced drunk and acting like a goose and then getting your ass whooped by these gangsters. Watching that is so entertaining for me. And now I love you too. Now I will watch you. Yes, as long as you play an asshole Chiba, I'm gonna watch you in every fucking show, every fucking movie. You have my fandom, you have my respect, okay? So yeah, give him more roles like that. Give Shiwan more roles where he gets his ass whooped for being a Cheba. That is nice. Finally. Finally, I need to talk about the uh, homoerotic thing. The homo, the queer relationship between these two characters. Like the two male leads. Right? So you have Kanu and you have Woojin. Right? And they have a like a bestie kind of bond. Yeah? Like two like bros, besties. Okay. But... They always have a woman between them. Yeah. So like you have Chaehyunju. Like they get hired and, you know, they become Chaehyunju's, you know, whatever, like her guardian or her her bodyguards or whatever the fuck. Okay. So that's what they're doing. But when Chaehyunju leaves the country, goes to Rome, they bring in another girl. Yeah. They bring in the driver's granddaughter. What was her name? Tamin? Yeah. They bring in Tamin. And I'm like... What's with her? Like, she seems like a very random thing to get thrown in there. And here's why. Here's why. This series would never, ever pass the Bechdel test because all the female characters serve one purpose. It's to support the male characters' narratives, okay? So that's number one. This show's never going to pass the Bechdel test, all right? The reason why these women are in there is to disrupt any queer love suspicions between Kanu and Woojin, all right? If you look at, like, classic Hollywood screwball romantic comedies, all right, like, like from the, from the 30s, from the 40s, from the 50s, whenever there's a love triangle between two men and one woman, or if there are two male besties and there's one girl and she's, like, in love with one of them, that that is not about the love interest between the man and the woman. That is about the two male besties. That's about their gay relationship. And the woman is always thrown in there to disrupt that gay queer relationship and to be like, oh, no, no, no. This is a safe movie and safe TV show to watch because this woman is, you know, she's here as the safe buffer. Yeah, this is not a gay situation. No, look at the lady. Look at the lady. Yeah. Okay, given this this Hollywood tradition of doing this, okay? This has been used time and time again, and a lot of queer media scholarship addresses this. This is always the case. Whenever there are two men and one woman, it's like, no, 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 this is a, this is a gay situation, yeah. All right, given that history, it is impossible for me to watch Bloodhounds and not see the same thing going on, all right? We all saw episode seven. We saw those glistening bodies, those boys working out, okay? Showing off their fit-ass, buff-ass bodies glistening on TV, barely clothed. We saw it. We all saw it. But is this a show that would, in terms of genre, is this the kind of show that would draw a cis-hetero female attention? Hmm? No. No, it's not. No, it's not. I mean, in my case, this was this was attractive for me in the sense that, like, it was targeting my inner teenage boy. Yeah, my inner teenage boy was interested in this show. I was like, oh, this is a badass show. It's, like, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. I want to get into it. This show is 
It is attracting the queer eye. Mm-hmm. This show is made for all you gay boys. Yes, if you're a gay boy, this is the show for you. I recommend Bloodhounds. You're gonna have a blast. You're gonna have a ball. It is super entertaining. So that's who I dedicate this to. I am dedicating this podcast episode to all you gay boys out there. Yeah, if you were looking for a K-drama series to really scratch your itch, this is the one. I strongly recommend it. Yes, I do. I also got an email from one of my listeners, uh, Ada, and she was asking me what she was asking me a question about the show Lost, which I covered a couple of episodes ago, and she was asking me about a certain scene where the male lead tells one of his female clients, like, "Oh, it would be illegal for us to go to a second place." What that means is he's talking illegal in terms of prostitution. Like he's being he's being funny because. Of course, he's prostituted himself. Like that's part of his job. He's done it, but he's just kind of like setting his boundaries, saying like, "Oh no, sis! Like we're not gonna go there tonight because I'm not interested. Because I don't want to do it. Because our time is up, you know." So like that—that's the reason why he says it would it would have been illegal. Also, maybe like another way to read it is it would have been illegal in that their allotted time for what he's been paid for is now over. So to go past that time, it would be illegal in that, you know, it's not a fair transaction. But the illegality, he's talking about the fact that he, like, she wants to sleep with him, pay for sex. That's the illegal part that he's talking about. So yeah, like, the 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 narrative, the talk, the the exchange in the conversations, it's very, very coded. It is very, very coded to cloak what these exchanges mean. And actually on Bloodhounds, there's a lot of that kind of coding going on. A lot of that. Uh, for instance, like they call they call the, 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 the muscle man among the gangsters, the one who the executioner, the guy who goes to kill, they call him Pekjung. And Pekjung Back in Korea, like during the caste, like feudal caste system, Korea, Pikchung meant the executioner or somebody who was like a a meat handler. All right, so Pikchungs they were just a notch above slaves, and this caste of people, like anybody born into this family, their fate or destiny was always to be like a butcher or a meat handler, and because they dealt with blood and animal killing all the time they were just kind of like seen as an untouchable like the rest of society treated them like crap and after the Cabo reform movement in the late 1800s that whole caste system was you know like obliterated but the whole Pekjung notion that cultural concept continued to dominate society and that feudal caste system mentality still exists in South Korea to this day because of its ancient history so they you the within the gangsters in the underworld they still use this term pikjung but it's a nickname a code to say oh he's an executioner i thought that shit was pretty fun that was kind of gnarly and you know like i said bloodhounds that's also a code right code for what code for the guy who goes out to get the money from the clients who owe money to the loan sharks yeah so yeah like read through these conversations and see what kind of code or innuendo or second dialogue is happening because it happens a lot it happens a lot and trying to crack that code does make the viewing experience very entertaining so thank you ada for your question and if any of you guys have questions for me about the shows that you're currently watching feel free to email them to me at kdramaschool at gmail.com you can also comment 
by following me at KDramaSchool School on all of my social media platforms. And also, if you guys have some like encouraging, nice things to say, oh my god, yeah, send them. They're more than welcome. A woman in Australia emailed me and told me how much she loved my show, and she sent it to me at a time when I really needed to hear it. I really, really needed to hear it. I was like fucking struggling. I was bummed out, and I was like, you know, crying every fucking day. And you know, like she sent it to me right when I needed it. So thank you. Thank you, my listeners. You guys are so wonderful. Yeah, you guys, you, you, uh, you add the cotton candy blossoms in my heart. And it means a lot. It means a lot. And I'll continue doing this. I'll continue doing this because it means a lot. It means a lot coming from you.